Alright, hey, so um wanna go go to go ahead and get rolling so we uh, don't go over time. I uh, hey, welcome to uh, this session is whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done it to me. Uh, my name is Ryan Galloway, I'm the UF uh, Chi Alpha Director and uh, no, stop. You guys are great. Uh, but uh, so um, I have been in Chi Alpha for I think it's now 13 years. Uh, recently, my wife and I, in about the last year and a half, became the, the directors at Chi Alpha. And during that time, I've done literally everything you can do in Chi Alpha: um, led worship, led small groups, you know, been a greeter, written name to all that kind of stuff. I did all that kind of stuff, and I've loved every minute of it. It's been great. Um, just so you guys have a little bit about me before we begin. So I'm a little bit of a blurred. If you don't know what that is, that's a black nerd. And so that's somebody. Uh, yes. Come on. So I'm a, I'm a lover of anime and video games. Yes. Uh, I am unashamed and unapologetic about it. All right. Uh, and uh, so, so growing up, I was a bit of a nerd. I've come into my own a little bit since then, mostly because I got married. Uh, speaking of which, my wife, Christina, is back there. My uh, Christine and I actually met in Chi Alpha, all right, and uh, and so uh, that's like if you're like, man, I'm trying to figure out um, how to get wifed up or how to get beat up, <laughs> I'm gonna just tell you right now, just stick with Chi Alpha for like 13 years and you'll be good. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, Christine and I <laughs> led a lot of stuff together. She was crazy about me, and I just completely rejected. I was like, no, I don't want to do this. Uh, actually, no, I'm joking. I was the other way around. Uh, no, I liked her for two years and was just praying and praying and praying. And then I finally just built up the courage to ask her if she would let me pursue her. And to my surprise, she didn't vomit in her mouth. So uh, we got married three years ago. We started uh, reproducing ourselves a year and nine months ago. Uh, actually, a little bit before that, because there's more involved in that process. But uh, there's... Uh, so we have, we have uh, one child, his name is Caden. She is also uh, five months pregnant right now. Uh, so we're expecting our second little peanut butter nugget and he's super cute. I tried to have some pictures for you guys, but I don't really care about PowerPoints and I didn't think about it until really late. Uh, so if you would like to see pictures of my kid, and yes, he is the cutest kid on the planet, um, you can um, come up to me afterwards at any of the sessions, hopefully not during worship, because I'll be crying probably. Uh, and I will show you pictures or videos or whatever you want to see, all right? Uh, now, uh, I do have to ask you guys, before we really jump into everything, uh, can I ask for your permission to offend you? Yes. Okay. I, I need your permission to offend you because um, I don't, I, I'm not the kind of guy who believes in coddling adults. Every last one of you guys here are adults. Every last one of you here um, are disciples, I'm assuming, um, or at least, uh, you know, um, questioning about Jesus and stuff like that. And as a result of that, I just feel like uh, I'm just going to let the word of God kind of break out. I'm going to share with you some of my insights. You are more than uh, welcome to disagree with me. I'm an adult. I'm not going to feel offended if you're like, man, I really don't like that guy. I want to punch him in the throat. Um, I can dodge really well, so it's all good. All right. Uh, but I need you to know that it's, it's, uh, it's kind of an intense uh, word that I'm going to be sharing with you today. And uh, we just need to be ready for that. All right. Let's pray really quick. And then we're going to jump in. What's up, dude? Go ahead and grab a seat. <laughs> uh, Jesus, uh, we want to be disciples of your word. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here um, to, to be replicants of the culture. We're here to bring your kingdom onto this earth, to leak your kingdom onto this earth. And we ask that, uh, Lord, that you would give us a heart for the things that you have a heart for. Uh, God, that you would give us a, a kingdom focus. And, uh, Lord, that we would see your kingdom come in this world. In your name. 
Amen. 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 All right, hey, so we're going to start off. If you guys can turn in your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 25, we're going to go uh, verses 31 through 46. I'm also going to try to move a little bit fast because there's a lot. So if something's, if, if I need to repeat something, feel free to, to speak up and just let me know because I'll probably ignore you. All right, so Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. Um, whatever version of the Bible you have that you wind up living out is a great version to have. Uh, and so um, let's, uh, let's go ahead and do this. It says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I, I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Everybody say, wow. Wow. Yeah. So that's the passage I get to teach on. So you'll understand if we don't have a ton of jokes <laughs> during this session. Uh, raise your hand if you've read this passage or you're familiar with this passage, right? So that's, I figure that's like 80% of you guys, 75% of you guys. Uh, so, so I think the meaning of this is, is fairly clear. Um, we've got Jesus who's, who's issuing on one level an encouragement and then on one level a warning and a pretty severe warning at that. Uh, and we see that Jesus is talking about the least. He says, hey, those who are poor, the widows, the uh, people who, who don't have any food, people who don't have any clothes, those who are in prison, uh, those are people that, that in a lot of ways society has a tendency to overlook and to ignore and, uh, and, 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 uh, and to completely forget about. And he's saying, hey, if you're, if you're serving these people, you're, you're basically serving me, you know? Um, and I've read this passage over and over again. I think a lot of us have read this passage over and over again. If you're in Chi Alpha, Clearly on some level, you know, we've got XAI and we've got all these different things. So you're familiar on some level with the concept of the lease. But as I sat and as I, I kind of sat with this passage, I was uh, really uh, pushed to think about what, like, who are the least? Because Jesus is talking in a specific context, in a specific day. But if Jesus was giving this passage in this time, like, so if Jesus was in modern day America, what would him preaching this passage look like? Who would the least be in our day and in our time? And I think that's an important question for us to answer because this matters, not because it's just a penalty that Jesus is trying to warn us about. I think that Jesus is trying to give us a key to relationship with him through this passage. If we would listen, if we would be attentive to it. All right. So here's the main idea. If you're a note taker, you're going to want to write this down. 
This is the big idea. You can get glimpses of Jesus in the safety of the church walls, but if you want to know Jesus, you've got to go and serve the least. You can get to know Jesus. You can see glimpses of him when you're in the church walls, when you're in the safety net of the four walls of the church or in the safety nets of your, uh, of your religious clique, but you're not going to get to know Jesus until you go and serve the least. Well, why is that? Well, because we know where Jesus spends his time. It's with the least. I'm here to tell you, if you're like, yo, I have spent three years in a church and I feel dead and boring. And like, I'm going to tell you the reason why is because you're missing Jesus. He's yes, he's in the church. But man, where he really is at is with the least. Go break out a towel. Go ahead and wash somebody's feet. Go ahead and love somebody that doesn't deserve to be loved. That's when you're going to find the fullness of your life in God. We're talking, this whole thing is all about alive. We're alive in these different things. I'm here to tell you, man, the, the worst parts of my spiritual life have been times when I've become insular, when I've forgotten the heart of my Savior, and when I've folded inward, and when I've forgotten that our Savior is out in the world loving people who are never going to be acknowledged by the society at large. That's the, that's the heart of our King. And, and so for us, we've got to realize, yes, okay, it's great. It's like, I pray that we would have our worship services I'm praying that we're going to do our Bible studies. I'm praying that we're going to have our dinners together. But you better start inviting people to those dinners. You better start bringing people into those Bible studies. You better start breaking out of the four walls of the church. And you better go reach the people that Jesus, his heart bleeds for, that, he, that his heart cries for, that it breaks for. Because not until then will you get to know him fully. Uh, if you, uh, who had Luke 19? Is that, that was you. Okay, cool. Could you, uh, could you go ahead and read that for me, verses 1 through 8? Yep. <clears throat> Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has come to be the guest of a sinner. Hmm. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Yeah. So that's Luke, uh, Luke 19, verses 1 through 8, for anyone that wants to write that down. So here you have a really interesting interaction. So you have Jesus, he's doing his thing. He's kind of like a spiritual superstar. And so everywhere he goes, people are like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus, you know? So people are like taking selfies and stuff and trying to like get him on their Snapchat feed and stuff like that. And, uh, and, and in particular, there, there's, there are like large crowds of people that are following him and even uh, religious people that are following him. And so you have in this whole mix, you have this guy, Zacchaeus, uh, which I think it's also kind of, um, whoever wrote this, uh, <laughs> I think is a little bit, they're throwing a little bit of shade because it's like, oh, there's this really short dude, uh, this little shrimpy tax collector dude. I'm like, that's rude, first of all. So that's kind of mean. But uh, so we've got this tax collector and we have to understand, so in, in Jewish society in the day, so at that time, uh, the Jews were ruled over by the Romans, all right? So like the Jews had received this promise, hey, you're going to get a land, you're going to live in this land, you're going to rule yourselves, I'm going to be your king, God had promised them this thing, except that the Jews were also really bad at following their king, their true king. So over time, what happened is they were dispersed, they were conquered by other peoples, and so we're seeing right now, this is a time when the Jews were basically in captivity to the Romans. They were not allowed to really rule themselves. Now, the Jews did have a lot of autonomy, and they had like a religious ruling class, but they're under Roman rule, and most Jews did not like this. Like, most Jews 
hated this and they longed for the day when they would be liberated. In fact, most Jews felt like uh, their Messiah was going to uh, was going to eliminate Roman rule. Like they were looking for what you would consider like a militaristic political movement, you know. And Jesus shows up on the scene, and and in the middle of this, you have you have um, tax collectors who are kind of like a liaison between uh, the uh, the Roman government and between the the Jewish people. So uh, the Romans were like. Hey, you guys need to pay us this amount of your money. And obviously, no one likes taxes. Like, if you look at our modern political climate, most of the issues that you're talking about when people get really riled up is about money. All right. So, you know, you mess with people's money and you're about to get in a fight. So, uh, so the the Jewish tax collectors, so they were Jews, but they were considered Benedict Arnold, Arnold's. They were like Uncle Tom's. It was like the idea was these are our people, but they're in bed with the Roman government. Here we are under oppression, and we've got these people who not only uh, are working um, with the Roman government, but tax collectors had a very, very uh, nasty reputation of being people who who um, purposefully cooked the books for their own benefit, you know, like they would give the money to the Roman government, but then they would also charge extra so that they could get rich. And so tax collectors uh, were hated in Jewish society. It would be like, the equivalent would be like something like a, a child molester now. Like any, like I even say that and you guys are like, oh gosh, that's disgusting, you know? Or even when we're talking about like the hashtag Me Too movement, there's like a, a huge kind of watershed moment in our culture now where, uh, where women are raising their voices and they're saying, hey, like uh, we've, been a, we've, we've been taken advantage of and we're not going to do it anymore. And so you're having this, this large movement where people are recognizing these men and being like, this is disgusting behavior and it's unacceptable. So like it would be that sort of like, when, when Zacchaeus shows up on the scene, nobody likes him. Nobody likes this dude. Everybody, like I'm telling you the fact that, that he's, he's uh, moving around the outskirts for a reason. People don't want to be around him. People are, are probably more, more uh, likely to spit on him than they are to make room for him. So we've got Zacchaeus who's moving around the outside of this crowd. He's trying to jump into this tree to see Jesus. And Jesus stops what he's doing and he notices Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, uh, today I'm going to be a guest in your home. And naturally, the people all freak out. They grumble, the, the, the Bible says. I don't know if you caught that. They grumble and they're like, Jesus is inviting himself to be a, a guest at the home of this sinner. It's disgusting. You know, people hated Zacchaeus. And it's cool because we go on to see that Jesus, the way that Jesus loves is so revolutionary. So he invites himself into the home of this person, Zacchaeus. And, uh, and through that interaction, Zacchaeus' life is transformed. He says, hey, I'm going to pay back what I've stolen four times over. Like, that's got to be Jesus, let me tell you, because people don't do that, all right? Uh, and, and so we see Zacchaeus' life is, is changed. But this reveals an unsettling truth about the relationships between Jesus and the world and Jesus and the religious, all right? So I find this fascinating. The words of Jesus often offend the world, right? So like as you're on your college campuses, people are like, so, so Jesus said that he's the only way. Do you really believe that? And, and a lot of times... You know, it's a hostile conversation, but my answer is like, well, yes, that's what he said, and that's what I believe, and stuff like that. And often the words of Jesus offend the world, but it's funny that the love of Jesus often offends the church because of a sense of entitlement, because of a sense of superiority, because of a sense of pride. It, it, was, it was the religious people that were gathered around. They're trying to listen to a sermon, and here comes this nasty, dirty Zacchaeus, this tax collector who doesn't belong. That dude is defrauding the poor. He's defrauding widows. He's, he's in league with the, with the Roman government. What the heck is Zacchaeus doing? Oh, and now Jesus has the nerve to invite himself into that guy's home? Yes. Because that's the nature of our king. And this is what I want to get to. 
we as disciples of Jesus have to rebroaden our, our bandwidth when we're talking about the least. Because yes, it is the, the poor and, and the imprisoned and its widows and its orphans. But the reality is there are lots of least in our day and age. There's lots of least in our lives. Like some of you guys live in, in, in areas of your towns where you're never going to see a homeless person. That does not absolve you from going to the least because you have least all around you. You have Zacchaeus's all around you. People who would never be able to walk into a temple. Do you think Zacchaeus would have ever been able to walk into a Jewish temple? No. But think about how many atheists, how many gay people, how many trans people, how many uh, intellectuals, uh, how many uh, of the just the not right type of people, how many feminists, how many et cetera, et cetera, how many black people, how many white people, how many whatever people would not walk into our religious gatherings for good reasons. The least are all around us. So look, so look. I'm not saying that we ignore the, the poor and the... I, it is absolutely our duty to go, and I'm going to talk about that in a second. But, but what I'm asking all of us to do is to be willing to let Jesus make us wildly uncomfortable and try to figure out, Lord, there are probably Zacchaeus in my life that I'm actively hating right now that are just one encounter or two encounters or ten encounters away from, from paying back the things that they've stolen four times over from an encounter with the king that changes everything in their lives. If we are to love like Jesus, we must redefine who the least are by the character of Jesus and not by the character of our society, not by the character of our religious cultures, not by the character of a political party. It's got to be defined by the character of Jesus. It's his kingdom. So I ask the question, so who is the least in your church? Who is the least in your religious clique, in your religious group? Who is the least in your Chi Alpha? Think about that. We're going to come back to that. But I want us to be, to be kind of mulling that over and thinking about that and really meditating on that because I think there's, there are tangible steps that all of us need to take to be the hands and feet of Jesus in these situations. Um, you know, I asked you if I could offend you earlier, and, uh, and there's a reason for that. So uh, as a black man, and also as someone who struggles with same-sex attraction, uh, I've been wildly disillusioned and disappointed with the, the modern American church, to be quite honest with you. Uh, you know, so I think, on, uh, I think all of us can recognize that maybe the church doesn't have the best track, track record with gay people. And, uh, and for me, as I, as I started recognizing that I struggled with same-sex attraction, um, I literally for years would not talk to anyone about it because I could see how people were treated once they were in any way labeled as gay or questioning or whatever the case is. And um, watch as people in ministry that I was involved in uh, express doubts and were just summarily kicked out of ministries or kicked out of friendship circles or whatever the case was. Um, and thankfully, um, uh, my wife, Christina, who is fantastic, I remember when I told her as a friend, you know, what I was, what I was struggling with and just kind of expected things to kind of be uh, awkward and awful. And she was like, okay, all right, so we're going to keep serving Jesus, right? <laughs> it, was, it was so amazing. I've been very blessed and fortunate to have a, a, a really great community of people who didn't stop, uh, stop short. Uh, sorry, I'm going to cry. I've been really blessed to be Amen. a part of a community who did not stop at my sin struggles, who did not look at my Zacchaeusness and write me off and kick me out and grumble when Jesus invited himself into my home. 
And the world is waiting for all of us to find the Ryan Galloways and to love them the way that they were meant to be loved by their king. Um, if you have questions about that, you can ask me about that later because that's not a main part of this. But uh, it's just been really disillusioning to watch the way that the, the church at large, the American church at large, um, interacts with, with, uh, with, with gay people. And I think that um, we've got to do better. We've just got to love people the way Jesus loved them. Like, like we, don't, we don't get a choice. Like, I loved what he was talking about last night about our rights. Like, we, we try to hold on to the right to cast judgment. And the reality is if we all got our rights, we would all get hell. You know, I'm going to tell you, as an African-American man, looking back over the last couple of years has been very, very difficult for me. Um, especially when I look back on the church's overall history with slavery and racism. Like, I wish that we, I could say, like, man, uh, the, the, the Christian church in America, like, stood up and, and, and raised its voice and took action on this. And the reality is, like, 99% of the time, the answer is no, we did not. We did not. And, uh, and it's hard. So right now, um, I, uh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a random thing. I was going to mention this later. But so I uh, have gotten in contact with a guy from the alt-right recently and we've been kind of talking, and it's been a very interesting sort of odd friendship because uh, on one level, I'm wildly angry. <laughs> I'm like, how dare you, you know, to think this way? Uh, and on one level, he, you know, doesn't want me in this country. Uh, and so, uh, so as we're talking about, about uh, <laughs> I know, it's great. Uh, <laughs> Zacchaeus, hey. Uh, but um, so as, as, we're, as we're dialoguing about... Um, religion and Christianity in particular, um, he, he, and, and it's, it's been such a funny conversation, but he's like, dude, the, the, the track record of, of, of Christianity in a lot of places in the world is colonialism. Like it, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not a good track record. It's a, it's a track record of domination. And it's been interesting as, as now, like I'm trying to, I'm introducing him to the gospel and the actual words and methods of Jesus and, it's, and I think he's just about to get wrecked by the gospel. So y'all be praying for my friend who's in the alt-right. Uh, but, but in a lot of ways, he's right because I think in, in a lot of ways, our, our religious institutions have been more products of the culture and the time than they are of the word of God. And that's got to change with us. That's, that's just got to be something that we don't let sit. You know, like when I started figuring out that like wealth acquisition one is passed down through property uh, but then that up until even like the late 1970s, that <laughs> large part minorities were kept out of uh, of 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 um, acquiring wealth, of having property. Uh, when I found out that like our government participated in instigating the crack epidemic of the like the 1980s, and then hyper criminalized people who got caught up in these things. Uh, when I found out. Uh, when, when I found out a lot of different things about the way that, um, that, that blacks and minorities have been treated in this country and was upset about it and, and had white brothers and sisters tell me to just preach the gospel and stop worrying about it and to, to, to just move past it, it was really deeply disheartening to me. Not because I expect everyone to get it. I don't. Like, I, I don't expect that. But, but when you've, like, slept on, uh, on the same floor with people and, and prayed and cried all night and then woken up and sought the Lord and spent time, like, in neighborhoods serving people and on campuses preaching the gospel and stuff like that, you just kind of hope that when your heart breaks over something, the, the people that you counted as your brothers and sisters, that their hearts would break too. You know, I, I uh, you know, <laughs> I, I have to, to tell you that when I hear 
um, white brothers and sisters. And to be, I have one, my wife is a white Puerto Rican, all right? Like, so, like, I don't hate white people. This is not like a, some sort of thing against white people. But as I've had people tell me like, hey, focus on Jesus, my response is always, why don't you focus on Jesus? Why don't you focus on the things that Jesus focused on? Jesus, so, so when you look at the Bible, the word poor is mentioned 400 times in the, in the Bible. The word poverty is mentioned 300 times in the Bible. The word justice is mentioned over 1,500 times in the Bible. Think about that. But Christians have become known for a word that's mentioned seven times, homosexuality. Why? Why? We're, we're not being faithful to the text. Of course, of course we need to stand firm on righteousness and, and, and morality because that, that's, that's part of, we don't make people better by giving them poison. No, we, we have to give people the cure. Jesus is the cure and we stand firm on truth. But I've just got to tell you, when I look at the Bible, when we look at the totality of scripture and we get known for one little pet sin that we choose, but we ignore this vast movement of justice that has been brought, not just from Jesus, but from the Old Testament. We've got to figure out where we're missing the least, and we've got to get back to the heart of our king. You know? Um, our discipleship has to come before our political affiliations, guys. Our discipleship has got to take place over our citizenship. It's, it's got to be priority number one. All right? So, like, look, it, it bothers the mess out of me that, that, uh, that social justice has been hijacked by the left, by, by liberals, by the political left. That makes no sense. If any group in America should be known for justice and social justice, it should be Christians. Because our Bible mentions it 1,500 times. 1,500. Jesus talks so extensively about justice. Who has uh, the Ezekiel? Who has the, the Ezekiel verse? Was that you? Yes. Could you? Ezekiel 19? Uh, Ezekiel um, 16. 16. 16. Could you read that? So Ezekiel, we're going to read Ezekiel 16 verses 49 through 50 really quick. No, you're good. It's good. This is processing time for the rest of us. Chapter 16. Chapter 16, yep, verses 49 through 50. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. (laughs) Can you read that first verse again a little bit louder this time? Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. Hey, so so I'm not going to tell you. Know, we know we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Any, I mean, literally, I feel like anyone in America could tell you what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? But it's fascinating to find that in Ezekiel, the Lord tells us why he destroyed it. <coughs> yes, there was sexual immorality that was crazy there. But the thing that God mentions first is that they didn't help the poor and the needy, that they turned their back on the least. And, and when I look at the kind of maybe some of the, the modern trends that we're experiencing in our churches and in our culture, I've got to say, man, like, I wonder if we're becoming like Sodom. And not in the sense of our sexual immorality. I'm talking about in the sense of, of where our priorities are when it comes to the poor and the helpless and the people who have been disenfranchised and defrauded and, and, and the fact that we've allowed political entities to take over a movement that was started by our king. Like, I, like it, it worries me that we're going to become like Sodom and Gomorrah, you know? Um, look, if, you, if, you're, if you're on the right, 
God bless you. Like if you're if you if you identify as a conservative, God bless you, man. Like that's that's beautiful. But lift up your voice for the poor. Lift up your voice for the needy. You know what I mean? If you're on the left, God bless you. God loves you. Amen. All that that's great. Okay? Use your voice for the for the unborn. Use your voice for the things that matter to the Lord because justice is not just a right or a left issue. Justice is a biblical issue and all of us are going to have to give account for the for the things that we saw and for what we did for these things. Look like every last one of us uh, liberal or conservative, independent, wherever you find yourself, every last one of us is going to be in contact with the lost or the least. And our king is trying to get in there and get his skin in the game. And we are the way that God redeems the world. If you look at the movement of the, of the Bible, God sets a plan in motion and we are the way that God redeems the world. And we've got to be able to get in there. We've got to be able to push past our, our foolishness and our silliness and our sinfulness and all the ways that we're willing to divide and all the ways that we let people hijack movements in the kingdom. And we've got to say, no, we're going to be about kingdom principles. We're going to love the lost and the least because that's where our king is, because we want to be one with our king. Man, it, it, it's so crazy to me to think that Jesus is out serving the lost and the least. He's out comforting the broken in spirit and people that are in those positions. And we're holed up in churches praying prayers where God is like, I'm already answering the prayer. Get out there and go do it. Guys, let's be people who are moved to action by the words and the actions of our king. Uh, the church has got to be vocal on issues of injustice. We, can't, we cannot let political entities decide what is and what isn't okay. You know what I mean? If it bothers Jesus, it's got to bother us. And it's not enough to just say, I'm sorry to the defrauded. We have to bring restoration by the power of Jesus, in the power of Jesus. Um, I'm going to skip around. I, there was a bunch of stuff I was going to mention, but uh, I, I think it's more important that we kind of process this. Um, so what does this mean for us? You know, what does this mean uh, for us right now? Uh, well, so, so one, uh, if you've just been missing, if you felt like your spiritual life has been missing something tangible, like you've just been dry and I, like, I would really strongly, uh, ask you to consider, uh, figuring out if there's some way or many ways in which you've neglected serving the least in your life. And that could be, that could be, Maybe, maybe God's calling you to go help out with the homeless. Maybe that God's calling you to go feed and clothe people. Uh, maybe that God's calling you to go, to go um, volunteer your time and, and preach the gospel in prisons. But honestly, I feel like for most of us, because most of us are in a college context, that might be that you need to go back to that roommate that you wrote off a long time ago. That might be that person in class that annoys the living crap out of you <laughs> and just asking Jesus for an extra dose of grace and being like, Lord, help me right now, Lord. Let your kingdom come right now. Not in that person, in me first, Jesus, because I just want to punch this person in the throat. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there, there's got to be something in us where we go back and we say, Lord, like, you're, you're with these people. I'm going to tell you guys, there's going to be a depth and a fullness that you're not going to find when you're just singing songs and praying prayers that cost you nothing. That's right. We can't be those type of disciples because that's not the way that our king lived. All right. What does this mean for us? We have to redefine who the least is according to God's heart, according to what we see going on, man. If something's breaking God's heart, it's, it's got to be breaking our hearts. What does this mean for us? We've got to be careful about being the most in this life. The Bible, you know, Jesus in, um, uh, Jesus was talking about how the last would be first and the first would be last. And, uh, and there's a danger. I think, I think all of us are going to be put in different positions to have influence and to have um, power or money on some level. And, um, and I just want to caution us to not 
to, to, to not settle for being first in this life because it's dangerous. Being first or being most in this life is a lie. It, <laughs> it, it, it keeps our focus off of kingdom principles. I'm telling you, if you're first or most in this life, man, be cautious and be careful. <clears throat> And, ma- and make sure that you keep your eye on the least. Make sure you keep your eyes on the priorities of the kingdom. God bless, man, we have some friends of ours who are legitimately really wealthy. And they serve the Lord. And they are so faithful. And they love Jesus. And they love the least. And man, it's such a beautiful testimony that, when, that as the Lord chose to prosper them, that they've chosen to spend their life serving the people that Jesus is serving. I'm praying that that would be true for all of us. As God prospers us, as God takes us into the marketplace or into the missions field or wherever, that we're going to have a heart that's fixed and fashioned on the least. But I want us to not, to not get lied to by the positions that we're in. Uh, look, if your spiritual gatherings are always comfortable, uh, I can guarantee you that you've neglected the least on some level. Like if in your group you always find it comfortable and it's always easy for you to get along with people, you've neglected the least on some level. Maybe it's a personality difference. Maybe, it's, uh, maybe you guys disagree on theology. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe it's someone who just gets on your nerves. So I, I don't even understand all the ways that this could take place. But uh, look, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, and, and you know, I'm going to speak from my perspective as a, as a black dude, but uh, anytime um, uh, a black person comes into a contemporary church context, uh, they're on some level giving up part of their cultural identity to do so. Um, and, um, and it's been beautiful to me to watch in the last couple of years, I feel like as, as, uh, as we've kind of all awakened to like, man, let, let's let's do a better job of including people from different backgrounds. You know what I mean? Like uh, hearing, you know, walking into a, a, a white church and hearing them sing a song in Spanish. I'm like, amen. That's beautiful, man. That like, that's the heart of Jesus right there. It, and it's so funny because it's not, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, you don't have to start preaching a sermon all in Spanish, but there, but there are ways in which we can recognize um, the disconnect and the divide and, and maybe where some of the least might be in some of our gatherings. You know, for, for me, there, there was a, recently we were, we were um, with a small group that we're a part of and we were folding, uh, we were wrapping gifts for, um, uh, for Christmas for this initiative that they were doing. And, um, and it was me and like six of my friends, but they were all black friends and we were being super ridiculous and just loud and stuff like that. And there was, uh, there was a couple uh, of white people in the room and we just started singing all these old gospel songs or whatever. And Christina, my wife, comes up to me and she says, you guys are really ignoring every white person in this room right now. And I like legitimately had to repent and be like, oh, Lord, like I, I, I just, I apologize. I don't ever want to get to the point where I just get so comfortable in my majority feel where I just ignore my, my brothers and sisters who are, who are feeling. And they obviously felt like, oh, my gosh, I don't belong here, you know. Yeah. And I didn't care. I, I truthfully was just like, I'm just enjoying myself so much. And I've had to repent of, of the ways that my heart is, is prone to doing that. We've all got blind spots, but it's important for us to be able to recognize our blind spots. I'm not judging you. I have the exact same blind spots. I pray to God that you hear this and the way that I'm trying to say, I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I'm not trying to guilt black people, white people, Hispanic people, whatever. I'm just praying that we as a church are going to be the people that God called us to be. So who is Zacchaeus in your life? Who is Zacchaeus in your life? Who's Zacchaeus in your ministry? Who's Zacchaeus in your family? Who's Zacchaeus in your church, in your dorm? And who is Zacchaeus in your life? Who is the least in your life? There, like, I feel like for some of you guys, there's like an uncomfortable pit in your stomach because it's the person, you know who it is. Yeah. It's the person, that person that you're just like, Lord, every time they come around, 
I throw up a little bit in my mouth. Yeah, that person. Who are they? Where are they? I want, I want you to think about them right now. And I want you to think about them and think about how they were made in God's image and think about how without the gospel, without, without the, the word of Jesus, how those people are going to spend an eternity in judgment. And I want us to think about where we were when Jesus found us. I want us to think about the fact that not only were we least in the, in the grand scheme of eternity and, and the divinity of Jesus, like we were his enemies. We were the enemies of Jesus. Like, I don't know if you've ever watched a superhero movie. Like recently I watched that Spider-Man movie and there was like the vulture and all this kind of stuff. And like, there's no superhero narrative where like Spider-Man goes up against Dr. Octopus or, uh, or the vulture and dies for the villain. Like, no, the, the way this works is there's someone who's evil. The hero comes in, defeats the evil and everyone rejoices. But that's not the story of our king. The story of our king is you and I were the enemies of his kingdom. We hated him. We reviled him. We lived our lives to despise him. And he dies for the villains of the story. Like, Katie doesn't die for Regina in Mean Girls. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, Luke doesn't die for Vader in Star Wars. But our king comes and dies for the villains of his story. It's his story. Think, think about this. This is the reason why, like, like you know, the, the original passage that we read in Matthew 25... Don't get me, there's a large portion of that pa- portion of that passage that's a warning to us. But, but, but if, you, if you focus too much on the, on the warning, you're going to forget what's happening here. Th- there's a wooing that Jesus is doing here. If we would remember the truth of the gospel, the way that we do this, we don't do this by just saying, we're, we're not going to sing kumbaya and just get feel good about this and just be like, we're going to go save everyone in the world. No, we move because our king moved on our behalf. We are only empowered by the gospel that moves us. We can only do this in the power and the, and the miraculous work of Jesus. Because if you just go out there trying to do stuff for the least in your own, uh, in your own steam, you're going to run out of steam really fast. You're going to get self-righteous. You're going to start hating people. You're, no, well, if we do this, it's got to be on Jesus' terms, in his power, in his authority, by his power. That, that's the only way that this works. And it only happens when we reconnect with the reality that we didn't deserve God's love either. And he came for us. Guys, I'm praying that we're going to spend our lives in pursuit of, of widows and orphans and, and the fatherless and, and all those people, the people in prison. I'm praying that we're going to spend our lives going after gay people and straight people and fornicators and liars and cheaters and tax collectors and all, everything in between. That we would spend our lives going after Democrats and Republicans and independents, anyone that, that would find themselves marginalized in our communities that we would say, no, not on our watch. Maybe you've never felt like you could step into a church, but if you're my friend, you can come with me. I am the church. We are the church. That's right. And if you've never been able to step into a church, you can be our friend while we connect with Jesus. That's the kind of church that I'm looking to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of an institution that allows injustices to happen anymore. I'm ready to be a part of a group of people who read the Bible and who don't gloss over the words that Jesus is speaking because we have pet sins. I'm looking to be a part of a movement that says, our king is looking to redeem the world. I'm saying yes, because he redeemed me. I can't say no. That, that's, I don't have that option. You know, the... the to kind of tie this all up, uh, you know, the, 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 the passage in Matthew 25 is talking about, uh, you know, Jesus says, you know, um, uh, you know I'll, I'll say to the people who, who, 
who uh, did not clothe those who were, who were naked and all those different things. He says, you know, I'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And as I was reading through this, I was just really wrestling with this. I was like, oh, God, this is just this is hard for me because, uh, you know, I'm, I am a full believer in like, man, we are saved by the grace of God, you know, not by our works. It's only by the work of Jesus, the finished work of Jesus, you know. And this passage is challenging because it's, it's, you know, it's like, hey, uh, I, I see it. When you look at it, you're like, I see the works and you're judged by the works. And I was like, Lord, so, so what does this mean? Uh, it, does this mean that we're not, uh, that, we're, that we're saved by our works? And I think the answer is still no. But I do think that our posture and our attitude towards the least will reveal the depths to which grace has transformed our lives, has informed our lives. I don't think that this is in all trying, that this is in any way trying to say that our works are going to qualify us, but I do think this is saying that our works will reveal us. And I think for all of us, when, if, we're, if we're really struggling with this passage, there are maybe levels of grace that we just have not really let settle into our hearts. Like, I think that there are ways in which grace still needs to inform our worldview and our outlook. And I'm just praying, and this is for me, man. Like, this is not for you guys. This is for me. I remember when the Charlottesville stuff was happening, and I was just, I was like, Lord, I I prayed. I was praying one of those David and Psalms kind of prayers. I was like, Lord, destroy uh, the the lineage of my enemies. Like, like, not one of those prayers. You know those prayers that you're like, why did they put this in the Bible? You know? I was looking at the alt-right. I was like, okay, Jesus, you know what to do. Go ahead and drop those bombs. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I was, I mean, I'm with hardcore calling down uh, hellfire and brimstone. And, and, and then I imagined some woman somewhere praying for her son who's just in sin, who's just lost. And then I imagined being brought up in an echo chamber or being brought up in some sort of some sort of mindset that had that had ensnared my soul, some sort of sin that had ensnared my soul. And I remember that I, I was brought up in a mindset that ensnared my soul. I was brought up in a world that ensnared my soul. I, I had a sin that, that, that disqualified me from being a recipient of the grace of God. And I still got the grace of God anyway. And I found myself crying as I was praying for the alt-right Lord, send missionaries there. God, be merciful and be gracious. God, would you, would you shine your gospel into that world? And it's crazy to think that a prayer that I prayed four months ago is now uh, being fulfilled in my life. I was like, Lord, bring up indigenous missionaries. And then all of a sudden the Lord's like, hey, you can go in there. I'm like, I'm not indigenous. I'm not indigenous. <laughs> oh, okay, Jesus, you know. But, but all <laughs> I'm sorry, I just ruined the moment. But, <laughs> but all, that, all that to say that there, there is going to come a time, I think, really soon for a lot of us where, where we're going to be faced with the realization that, that we could either choose our rights and get what we deserve, which, spoiler alert, is hell, mm-hmm. or we, we can be children of our king and children of grace and love the poor and the least and Zacchaeus's who deserve our judgment and our wrath. And I'm just praying that we're going to be those people because our Jesus was that kind of king. Let's pray. Lord, man, my heart longs for the kingdom that I read about in your scriptures. My heart longs for that church. My heart longs for a history that, that shows a group of believers who were so marked by their king that they denied the culture in order to, to push for the kingdom. 
God, I long for a people who, who are moved by the compassion of their king. You looked at us when we were your enemies and you said, I want you. I want, I want you. I want him. I want her. God, you looked at us in our Zacchaeusness and you came after us. God, you saw us in our defrauded states and you restored us. Jesus, you looked at us when we were the least, when we had nothing, and you said, I will give you the riches of my kingdom and, and, my, and, and my inheritance, and you withhold nothing from us now. And I pray that we would be people who are moved by that and do the same to the people around us. God, our world needs you. Our world needs the real church. And Lord, I'm praying that you would teach us that we would be your disciples, God, that we would put our discipleship before our citizenship, Lord, that we would do to the least like you were there. Lord, I'm praying for anyone here who's just been dry and has just been like in a rut with you. God, if there's any way that you're trying to call them back to the least, God, would you speak so clearly right now? God, by the authority of your word, God, would you call us back to a full life with you? God, would you call us out of our enclaves and out of our safety nets and out of our bubbles back into a world that is desperate for you, God, a world that is craving you, Jesus? We want to see it. We want to see it, Lord. And Lord, until that, that day when you call us back, Lord, we are going to be people who lift up your banner so high, who lift up your name, God, who bring you glory. God, we're not going to work because we try to earn our, our place with you by doing it. God, we're, we just want to be alongside you as you do these things. And so, Lord, I pray that we would receive the invitation that you're giving us. God, you're not trying to humiliate us. You're not trying to ruin our lives. You're trying to give us real life by inviting us into this journey with you. God, I pray that we would be revealed as your children by the way that we respond. Have your way in your name. Amen.